Are you conscious of your addiction? Refuse to be defined by it? Not satisfied with living your life on the surface? Are you drawn to deeper meaning and purpose? And believe that it's possible to grow through your addiction to experience true freedom? Well, welcome home. Share the journey from addiction to freedom with your host, Michael Gregory. Welcome to Addiction to Freedom. Today, you have a real treat in store for you. I have just finished a very special interview with a goddess whose name is Alejandra Proyanya. And I guess part of it I'll say is that you know, she's a therapist and she's a poet and she's a, a woman who has, works with women in particular around healing anger, but she has a lot more richness that um, I don't have really the time or even the knowledge to express. All I can say is that this interview kind of did, we did talk a lot about, you know, the richness of anger and, the, and how important it is to be reframed and incorporated in our personal work. But we also, Alejandra, also, she really shared some of her own personal journey, which I know uh, it's quite profound, and I, I, I'm really looking forward to hearing more of that. So you're just going to get a taste, and I really encourage you to put the time aside, go and make a cuppa, and listen to this, and really enjoy. So with that, I'll let you get into the episode. Well, welcome back to Addiction to Freedom. Today, I feel like we're going to have a really special conversation with a really special person. Her name is Alejandra Proyanya. And um, I'd just like to give you a little introduction. I'll, I'll, we can talk more. But uh, Alejandra is a therapist, a poet. She's someone who's on her own personal and spiritual journey and has a real heart to help others. And I think that's, a, that's something that we share. And I'm, so she's has a lot of experience working with women in particular, particularly around anger, but I suspect that she's got a lot more that I have no idea about. So I'd really like to, to introduce her and, and, and thank you, Alejandro, for, for being here. My pleasure, Michael. Thank you for doing what you do. That's uh, so nice to kind of, I've got all this anticipation about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> One thing that really struck me when I was reading through about you is is you have a, a long-term vision for healing healing anger uh, particularly with women and and you mentioned kind of like a collective shadow in, in our society and I I've done a lot of uh, kind of Jungian work and so that stuck out to me and I kind of know what you mean by you know the shadow side of our psyche and our collective psyche so that stuck out to me I don't know if that's where exactly where you're coming from but wondered if you'd kind of share you, what is your long-term vision in your work? Thank you, Michael. I think anger has been demonized in our society. The right amount of anger is life force, but too much anger can be depleting. Anger can be protective, but it can also lead us to chronic stress. However, there's a lot of myths around anger, and some of the myths that I have been working on 
is that anger is a bad emotion, that angry people look like this. Uh-huh. And then there's another one that I call the criminalization of anger, which is connected to the anger management tradition. I think we owe a lot to the anger management tradition, but we need to remember that anger management came from the idea that people were crossing a boundary and they needed to be regulated by society. So that connects anger to aggression and violence, and it's not necessarily so. So my job is for us to work on the baggage of just to uncouple the baggage, the bad reputation that anger has specifically on women, me as a woman, because anger, as you know, has been connected to the masculine aspect and has been disconnected from the feminine aspect in modern culture, not in tribal cultures. We have, for example, Tonantzin, which is one of the goddess in pre-Hispanic Mexican culture, and she was the old creator, but also the old destroyer. So the aspect of woman has been, again, polarized or divided. And I do believe that all human beings should be able to integrate both feminine and masculine aspects of our psyche and of the anger. So anger can be a very protective and loving energy. That's the feminine side of anger. So if I can, there's so much in what you said there, and I'm kind of mindful of maybe people who are listening that that aren't familiar with some of those important aspects. And uh, But just to try and reflect back, what I'm hearing is that you're saying that anger in general has this negative connotation, this negative that people view anger as bad and wrong and something that shouldn't be present and that if it comes up in you, you've got to, it's got to be controlled and made invisible and, and also in society. And mainly I think, as you said, that that's come about because anger can appear as explosive and damaging and frightening and threatening. But the other side of that is um, what, what I'm hearing you say is that, is that anger has actually really a functional, a, a real function and a really uh, beneficial function. And, and you mentioned protective. What, what were the other things you said about the beneficial side of anger? It's a life force. Yeah. So when anger is present, it means that maybe we need to hear ourselves and ask ourselves what boundary has been crossed or what needs are not being met. So it's it's a really good friend of us that shows up when things are not doing well. So befriending our anger is like asking yourself, what is my anger trying to tell me? Ah, it's like a, a warning in a way that something's not right here and needs to be looked at. So for example, I'm, I'm angry might, fe- might mean I'm overwhelmed or I need space or I'm confused, I'm sad, I'm stressed, I'm afraid. 
Mm. Wow. That really changes the whole view of anger, doesn't it, when you look at it like that? Yeah, and so would I be right in thinking that your kind of vision is is for this more balanced and whole view of anger to be that's the message that that, that with the view that of, of anger that we've got is isn't is 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 small and um, and doesn't really represent the true beauty and power of anger. Is that it? Yes, and I want to say also that this is my view. My vision is also to have conversations about anger because we're not even allowed to have these conversations, especially if you're a woman and you're angry. It's almost like an insult if somebody tells you you're angry. So it's not allowed for us. And on the other hand, you know, my partner is the anger management guy. And so he gets all sorts of women that call him because they want their partners to go to the anger management program. And I'm, you know, on the background, just thinking they should come to my program because it's about how is anger relating in that relationship? How are we both relating to anger? So it's also seen like, even if the one of the persons, let's not make it a genderized emotion just for a moment. So there's two people in, in relationship in a couple and anger moves through them. But because the conversation around anger is so stigmatized around women, it's like, oh no, he needs to take care of it. Or, but the other option is even if one of the persons on the relationship is the one that has the more openly expression of anger, that the other person who is maybe retreating or holding everything in, or just holding the space for this other person not to be as angry, also has responsibility on the dynamic. And I'm not trying to guilt this person, I'm giving power to this other person. So the relationship is able to change if any of them do something different. So you're saying, are you saying that both people are involved in, in a, in a relationship, both people are involved in the energy of anger, even if one part, person is more expressing it and the other person is more providing space at that time. Yes. And one person's not right and the other one wrong or bad and good. Correct. On the other hand, there's a lot of studies about how women are more internalizing their anger. So anger will look very different. It's almost like invisible on women. So women, we are taught to repress our, ang our anger, but every, on the last maybe decade, maybe, there's more research about the impacts of acknowledge, an acknowledge or unexpressed anger on the health of women. It has been, for example, correlated to chronic and autoimmune diseases, et cetera, et cetera. So to breast cancer, to arthritis. So the ratio, the radio of women that come to see us is one to three. And my hope is that this is finally changing because that women are not addressing their anger does not mean it isn't existent. We don't, as a society, we can't wait that there's like a court case or 
that people are pushed to go to anger management to come and see us, every year more people are really interested on in getting emotional intelligence. And as women, we are more open to talk about anger than ever before. Yeah, that's so. That is that's so healing and wonderful. And while you were speaking, I remember maybe twenty years ago when I was, you know, I was a lot younger and and I had a lot less understanding about these things. I remember this woman who was probably my age now, and I said to her, I said, "You look really different." And because I hadn't seen, uh, she wasn't really a close friend or anything. I was just an associate in a, a group of people that I used to, kind of a personal development environment. So I'd see her from time to time and we'd always be friendly. And I said, but you look really different. And she said, she said, yes, I've, I've suddenly realized something. I've, I've, I've really had a massive shift. And I said, what, what was that about? And she said, I suddenly realized how angry I've been and I've been angry all my life and on the outside nobody has known that I haven't been able to show that I didn't even know that that I've been angry all this time and you know what Michael it's really interesting that part of what this research shows is that anger is has a very high relationship with pain so women, we usually feel pain more than expressing the anger. Oh. But what happens when you're angry and you are able to put that anger into words is that you become more empowered, you can make better choices, you can inform yourself, research, and move forward. So it's all about moving that energy from your body so that it doesn't get stuck in you. And also in that way, we will avoid the other kind of thing that happens when women repress anger. You know, there's hardworking women, they want to be loving, kind. So we extend our boundaries, say yes, one more, yes to this person, yes to this job. And all of a sudden, we are so fed up. There's no gas, we know we're, we're empty. And that's the moment when women explode and then they explode and that doesn't look like a nice lady. It looks awful. And then there's a shame that comes in. And then people believe that they will never have to express their anger anymore because they feel so much shame about it. So the question is, how can we express our anger in an assertive way? Yes, yes. And also the other side of that, just to kind of draw it out for men, I think, who are in, you know, in relationship with, with women or someone, let's say it's not a woman, but someone who is, has a tendency to internalise and take on more, is that, just having a little mental blank. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, that's right is that I hear men say, she's insane. You know, she's got psychological problems. You know, she's, she's so, she needs help. In other words, 
it's like not only is a woman not allowed to express anger so she's repressing it and trying to be all things to everyone and then when she finally does you know the anger like you say is the it just says hey this is not enough this is not okay we need to change this and it comes out in an uncontrolled way then they they get demonized for that and stigmatized and and and, and kind of called like psychologically unbalanced how horrible is that for women or anyone in that situation and i've always been disturbed by that how men so quickly i'm saying men but it could be not a man just jump to that conclusion without really understanding what you're saying is that um, we have a cultural problem that is created as a much bigger problem it's not just the individual's problem that's led to this and it's really wrong to well, it's, it's just basically kind of ignorant to come to that conclusion that the person expressing anger has a psychological problem. I mean, there is the extreme examples where, where, where someone has become very destructive and does need to look at that, but that's, that's often where we, we hear about it. And, you know, there's either anger management, as if anger has to be managed rather than integrated, you know, deeply understood and and develop a new way of a you know of not just someone who's really on the more express you know extreme end of the expression of anger, but all of us, I think, could benefit from what you what you're saying to really. I'm benefiting just to under, understanding what you're saying about this. But do you think that's right about how women have been so unfairly categorized as having a psychological problem? Right. So I think this goes to the dualism that centuries ago we had in terms of mind or body, emotions versus reason. So this dualism was like, oh, women are emotional, you're not being rational. And now we all know about the importance of integrating mind and body emotions and reason feminine and masculine mm. you know i think that's so well put and and i'm contrasting that because that's very western that's a very western mindset of this dualism of mind and body you know starting from you know people attribute it to descartes but but the thing is i don't know i just i think um i think it's it's that was an intellectual expression of what, what he was doing, but I think it's been in the culture for a very long time, just naturally because men and women, you know, express differently initially. But I'm contrasting that cultural context with what I understand from Chinese medicine because I trained and worked as a Chinese medicine practitioner for many years, and, and it might be interesting just to share the Chinese medicine view of anger because so inter- so similar to the way you're working. Um, see, anger, anger in, Chinese, in Chinese medicine, the, di- the different organs are related to what we could, like an energetic system, a meridian, an, an elect- subtle electrical flow of energy. And when the Jesuits first went to China, they looked at the diagrams and they could see what they recognised as the organs, the liver, the heart, the lungs, the colon, whatever. But... And then, but then there was this energy system attached to that, but they called that energy system the liver. 
But of course, that's a misunderstanding. And when we talk about the liver system, actually, in Chinese medicine, if you want to translate that into Western, it really isn't a pure translation, but but partially it incorporates the nervous system. And, and in Chinese medicine, we talk about uh, in every system has a correlation with emotion and with body types and and also a spiritual dimension quality so with the liver system the emotion associated with that is anger but another characteristic another side of that is creativity so the job of the and we and, and there's all these stories to try to explain chinese medicine so in the classic text, they talk about the liver being the general of the army that creates order, right? That another order being that organizes the flow of things. So we say that the liver system regulates the flow of energy throughout the body, right? But the liver is the general, and the general does the bidding of the emperor, which is the heart. The problem comes when, because the and the emperor, the heart, is not the, just the physical heart, it's actually the, the centre of the, our whole being in the, in the sense that the heart knows the way. The heart perceives the way that the mind and eyes can't see. And so it's more than just the brain. The brain is actually just a pro processor. The heart is the knower. And so the, the, the general needs the direction of the heart in order for the whole system to be in harmony because look at what happens when the general tries to take over becomes martial law that management of the flow of things becomes very rigid and very and can be quite hurtful and unfeeling and and damaging it even though it's functional it's actually destroys all the softer beauty of what we are and so that's kind of where anger gets out of control and so let's say that they talk about you know the the energy flow in the body like a river system. So let's say that when everything's flowing, the water's all flowing nicely, but then let's say that one river or stream gets blocked with a little a tree falls on it, it creates a dam, and all the water builds up behind it and spreads out and leaks out beyond that flow, and then there's so much pressure it just bursts through. Now the bursting through is an attempt to restore, restore flow, restore balance. But in behaviour, when the bursting through happens, it is seen as bad because it's destructive. But that's only because there was a blockage that create, and a blockage, if we say psychologically, is perhaps created where there's, a, there's something we don't know, something that psychologically is getting in the way of our, our right action. The heart isn't providing the way the inner knowing is is not quite there and so anger is an attempt to rebalance the flow of events the flow of ourselves you know our way and and also to support the heart not to take over to support the heart because the heart operates on a more subtle level so i don't know i just see all of that is a very different view of anger than the western view you know, of mind and body, because in the Chinese view, mind and body, you cannot separate one from the other. It's impossible if you really understand it, even to try and talk about it as separate. Separate is just an attempt to communicate.
Yes. And what happens when we, in Occidental culture, cultures that have taken over or colonized, you know, I come from Latin America, we've been colonized by, I have some indigenous roots, but we are educated the Occidental way. And you have a temper tantrum when you're a kid and they shut you down. Or in a very patriarchal community where usually the dad to bring things back to order in the family gets angry as as trying to control or because they're so tired and they know that anger works really well. So kids grow up not being able to express their emotions because they are so busy holding everybody else's emotions. So you don't learn that. So we have what we called the developmental issues or developmental trauma, which is what led me to become an anger management counselor because if I would know all of my emotions perfectly, this would be boring for me. But this is actually a challenge. (laughs) (laughs) So, and again, the connection between, you know, if there's bottling up, if there's the pushing of emotions aside, if there's avoidance, procrastination, self-medication, right? That's addiction. So how all of this starts to connect and what is what a close relationship it is between addictions and anger and yes. shame. Yes, yeah, yeah. Addictions, anger and shame are very important connections you're making there do you have a way of you seem to have a deep understanding and i'm sensing that you're speaking from a depth of knowledge i'm just wondering how did you i don't know i'd love to hear about those three those aspects of you know addiction shame and and um and anger how did you come into that that knowledge that this understanding Mm -hmm. well i think where i'm now Michael, I, I'd say that there's a spiritual component because there are things that are beyond my comprehension. And I was so angry for so long for some of the things that happened to me when I was a kid where I had no power over, but I was overpowered by others. And now I just accept it as a gift because I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And as conversations that need to happen because they did not they were not happening when I was growing up for the adults in my community and worse for the teenagers or the kids so I had to learn the hard way (laughs) and when people people are surprised that I have all these degrees and I laugh and I tell them you know that's because I was so angry but there's way more (laughs) right like you said uh, anger can be the the element of fire. With anger, you can create. So that's my poetry. I'm I'm a better therapist than a poet. But what's the poetry? Why did the poetry stay there for so long for me? It's a coping mechanism, escape, but also it's more like a transmutation. It's like how do I turn this pain into something beautiful, into something something different than what I'm feeling right now. So. I think I always 
felt the dissatisfaction of the status quo since I was a teenager. I became a very angry teenager. But that that anger at the beginning was very strong and it came it's the typical kind of anger that comes after a while that you've been on the frozen state. Right, repressing the anger and holding it in. A little bit deeper frozen. than when there's, you know, these three ways of coping with, with threat, which is fight, flight, freeze. And now there's also this other one people are and more women are talking about fawn. So, you know, fawn can be like a gentle freeze. And I think I was kind yeah. of those lines. There's no no other way for your nervous system to move from there to a healthy state without going through the anger. So that's also the, the relationship between the shame and the anger. It's you're going through the sympathetic nervous system to then go into a more of a regulation. So when the anger, you know, there's a lot of people that come see me and say, I was a very nice person and I don't know where this anger is coming from. <laughs> so when that is happening, it's also like a like a healing moment. But you need some support to know what the hell is happening to you and also so that you can express that in a way that's not going to traumatize everybody around you or harm yourself with that strong energy. So I've been on this path of you know, first healing, I took a very long time to heal, but there was a pivotal event in my life, which was just a crisis. And in that crisis, I was ready to just leave everything and start fresh. And that's when I got into healing and I left the person that I was, I left everything that I had and Basically, I started a spiritual path because I didn't know where I was going. And I accepted that I needed help. And this deep experience also led me to find where could I accept this help from? Because there's many kinds of help that you can accept. So I researched and I found, I found a place that was okay. I found a place where I could get out whenever I wanted. I found a place where they wouldn't give me any drugs and I found a place that was affordable. And so I went and I had a deep experience in this therapeutic community where totally changed my life. It was not perfect. It was difficult. But in that space where I was able to stop using recreational drugs, I had the space to observe myself and uh, take a good look at different aspects of my life. So, you know, I, I think after that, that one year that I took to just remove myself where I was at and being on my own with other people that were doing the same thing allowed me also to reconnect to the soul that I had lost. You know, I had a spirit, a sense of my spirit when I was a little girl that I was so happy, so just full of life. And I had lost that. You know, I was in a point in my life where I looked myself in the mirror and I couldn't see that person. 
there was so much pain, so much sadness, so much shame. I didn't know what happened to me. And so I was able to explore that because when we use substances to self-medicate, when we have to find joy on any addiction, you name it, you know, <laughs> all the spectrum, relationships, love, food, alcohol, drugs, clothes, buying stuff, work. You are just using a crutch to continue life. You are holding yourself from anything that shows up hard as you can. When you have none of that, the things that really need to be healed show up. So for me, sobriety is not about not being in contact with a substance. It's about thinking and feeling straight. What you mentioned, the connection between your heart and your intuition and your spirit is clear. And I had lost that. So most times I think that now as a therapist that I have been working with so many people on anger and addictions, we use substances as a way to respond to our trauma, to our pain. We are unconsciously doing the best that we can. We have no other resources. And the funny part, you know, I had a great time when I was, you know, living in this space. You know, I had fun. I, I, I wouldn't change what I lived, but it was dangerous. And, and I thought I was very hardcore, very active. But now that I work with my clients, I know that addictions is a very, is a passive way of resolve conflict because you're not resolving the conflict. You don't even know what the conflict is. Internally. No, you don't even, yes. Yeah. And one of the things that I think it's um, quite interesting is addiction from, comes from the word Latin addictus. And addictus comes from, I mean, there's many, you know, it's a root, so there's many dimensions to that in the, tom in, in the etymology of that word. But one of them is addicto, which means lack of word, lack of the capacity to word, to express what are you living, what's happening. It's um, not having words to understand your experience. So would that correlate with a kind of a, a blindness, a lack of personal insight into what's really going on for you? Yes. And there's another part of this etymology, which is that addicto, addict, also comes from dictare, which is what you inherit. Ah. So sometimes the addiction comes silently from family, from years of coping mechanisms, different kinds of shames, and there's the black sheep of the family, yeah. <laughs> the attic. Yeah, and, and also culturally, because the family exists within a larger collective, which also has elements that we inherit naturally by being part of that. Yes, and on the on the good side of that, you know, our parents, our families coped the best way that they could. And maybe that coping mechanism isn't functional anymore. So I believe that right now, 
we as culture are finding new ways to cope that are more honest and that having this kind of conversation would have been completely, I would have been punished for this by my father. Wow. Wow, you would have been punished for having this kind of conversation, which seems so special, so heartfelt and uh, almost sacred in, in some, some parts. I, I've just been sitting here in awe and wonder, and you would be punished for that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it was not safe, because what will people say for, about you? Like, what, you what, to keep for it example, inside. what would they say? And if you need to keep that inside, what is that? That is shame. So addiction has a huge correlation with shame because once you talk about what's happening, when you give it a, a dictate, you know, you come out of the addict, you come into the dictate, you come into the words, into the world of words and the spirit, you're just already moving forward. Yes. Yeah, it takes a lot to be able to bring something out that you know could be judged in a negative where you could be judged in a negative way takes a lot of courage even if you know that you're not in a negative or bad or anything like that it still takes a lot to bring something out right so the chere means you know which is from the root means to indicate to pinpoint and so if you're a chere you can't pinpoint, you don't even know what's going on. So the lack of words, the lack of understanding, and that is what I think that it's so beautiful when we stop using these things that soothe us, that we go into the deeper understanding. Same with anger. If you are angry and you are able not to react you're going to stay there. You're going to feel the anger. You're going to feel the anger leaving your body. And then you're going to understand why that anger was trying to tell you. But if we react, we're going to create so much drama, then then we're going to have to solve another issue. And that's the shaming circle. Yeah. It really comes back. I mean, in my, my mind's going back to the Chinese medicine metaphor of the emperor or empress, you could say. When the emperor or the empress is wise, the general is silent and waits for the insight. The general doesn't go off and try to solve the problem. The liver, which can turn into anger, doesn't go off and try and solve the problem. It waits for the insight, the wisdom. The wisdom is the deep awareness of what is present. And that's what you're saying is that if, if, we can, if we can sit with that, we can allow ourselves to sit with that, we can start to get insight. And, and then, you know, the possibility of asking for help because we might need to reconnect our body. We might need a lot of help because this is something that has been, for some people, patterns of generations. Yes. So... I hope the best for the future generations. And the women that come to my group at the beginning, they're totally afraid. They, it needs to, you need to have some guts to go into an anger management group of women. And then when they sign in, they don't know what the hell they're getting into. They're like, oh my gosh, it's going to be a, 
a group of psychopaths or something. <laughs> That's that old stigma, isn't it, of, about anger and women, you know, being insane. Um, I, I cringe at even saying that, you know. <laughs> and then they show up to the group and then, you know, they look at the other women and there's usually tears. So that is my long-term vision is to just stop that. You know, that creates also, this stigma creates also something not very good, which is like the cycle of when we are angry, we cannot express it. Or if we sent it towards my partner, I will not show it. And then we're not able to say, hey, I'm sorry, because I'm not accepting my anger. So we are not cleaning our mess in our relationship. And so then, you know, this thing keeps building up. But so anger is also like a cleaning energy. It's really honest. And it takes some vulnerability for you to say to someone, you know, I'm feeling really upset. It's a real skill, isn't it? To There's first of all the emotional courage, but there's also the skill in being okay to say, I'm not feeling okay with this. I'm not exactly sure what it is that I'm not okay about, but I'm, I can say that I'm feeling angry and, you know, I really, I'd really like to talk about this. And, um, you know, usually, you know, a lot of times people think they have to know stuff. They have to be able to identify the problem before you talk about it. But when we're talking about this, if we don't know what we don't know, and if anger is a buildup of what, you know, because we can't see we're in some ways moving into a new understanding, well, naturally we're not going to be able to identify. And so instead of being silent, to be able to actually do that middle ground of actually saying something rather than exploding or silent and bring it out into the open, create a space for it. That seems to be what you're doing, is that right, with your groups is creating a space and helping people to develop some skill around creating that space for themselves? Totally. And for their partners too or their kids. Yeah, yeah. And to understand what's underneath their anger. Yeah, yeah. Because we are all different. So there might be different things that are going on underneath. And there also might be trauma. So there's so many different levels of, of anger. Anger can be an emotion, but it can also be a state of chronic stress on the, on the nervous system. And so there's a lot of somatic work that I do with my clients. And I'd add on myself, let's just, again, you know, the jaw holding so much the tension on on your neck your shoulders at the solar plexus there it's just such a connection with the body but that's the emotional resilience is to to have the capacity to relate to your anger and to others and just to say you know i'm feeling ashamed right now or i'm feeling overwhelmed or i'm feeling hopeless Yes, yeah. And that, that being a very valid state, not a state of weakness or lack of capacity or, or, or wrong, it's actually 
it's kind of a, I don't know, a phase that that can you know, sometimes we just need to sit in that, don't we? In order, and then and then we start to become aware of what what's going on that you can actually start to work with it. Yes, you know, to be to be vulnerable is so important there. Yes, and only in that space we can really connect to the other. Yeah, but that happens later because when the anger is too strong, the what your body wants to do is to push, to blame, yeah. to the energy. It's just, and, and, you know, as I'm saying this, you know, I'm doing my hands, I'm pushing with my hands. So we need space. And in that space, we'll figure out what's going on. The anger is too intense. We might need a time in, I call it a time in, time in to go to yourself and check in. So this connection with the body is really coming through here because that's, I mean, just thinking about my own experience of when I experience anger, it's a, first of all a feeling in the body. And it used to be that I didn't even notice that until it was already coming out of my mouth. But, you know, over the years it's become not even a strong feeling. A much, you know, gradually, 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 start kind of seeing it earlier and earlier and earlier Till, you know, it's 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 a it's a it's a mild kind of resistance, and then looking at that and, and saying, well, okay, what's that about? Before it's even you know plenty of space to actually get insight on that. Totally. Yeah, and talk about it in a way that's actually inclusive of the other person, not rejecting them or or or, or blaming them or anything like that. Right, and understanding that. The anger can be most of the times unconscious, meaning it's so fast. The spark of anger activates the amygdala even before we are aware of it. And so we're already reacting, you know, the stress hormones, the adrenal glands are already shooting cortisol, adrenaline or adrenaline, and that we find something really mean. And But if you get better at noticing what is happening before you get there, you can have a little bit more space because your heart rate will go up, your blood pressure will go up, your arterial tension will go out, and your my pupils would get deleted. I, I might be looking really intense in that moment. The hearing becomes impaired. You can't connect when there's stopped emotion because you know there's also that primal reason why anger is here is to defend ourselves. So if I'm feeling threatened by you, I'm not going to say, so how are you feeling? I'm not going to care. <laughs> That's right. I'm just going to no. run away or attack you. Yeah. And, and, the, and the frontal cortex gets shut down so you can't think clearly. You've got these really kind of simple choices of run or fight or hide. <laughs> yes. So, And also, you know, the only thing that's working there is the fight or flight so the prefrontal cortex is not working. Your only focus is to win the enemy or to run away as, as fast as you can, but all the other systems in the body are going to be shut down, like blood flow, you know, your digestive system is going to shut down. And so there's long-term effects of uh, anger, right? Like migraines, uh, digestive system issues, right? Immune system gets depleted because the new system is the same one that's working towards 
uh, regulating our stress, it's the same that works towards us not getting ill. So I'm angry all the time, every day, about anything that happens to me, then I'm losing all of my energy. Yes. Yeah. And also, some people, well, not some people, um, and I've, I've recognized this in myself in the past, where you, 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 the fight or flight seems like it's the solution because it gets you away from what is triggering that reaction in you, either gets you away from the other person or takes you away from the situation and then everything calms down again. But that seems like a solution, but then in the long term, when the cycle repeats, you know, because there isn't really any deep understanding of of this, it's just this kind of fight or flight reaction in the moment. And and I guess your work is helping people take it to a much deeper level of understanding and to some real evolution, which I guess, you know, if we really extrapolate that out, becomes a, a catalyst for personal change, personal growth, which is moves more towards ultimately, um, you know, spiritual spiritual development. I mean, would you would you say that? Absolutely. I like what you were doing with your hands there. You look like you're barely going out of the water, you know. Yeah. When you were talking about fight or flight, that's exactly what we are doing. But what happens if we are able to have some perspective and observe our anger from the outside? And that is way easier when you're with a group of people. You see different people acting in different ways. You tell, you hear their stories and you observe the physiology of anger, what happens through many lenses, which is what I do for the six works, six week first workshop. And so you have a little bit more of distance, which allows also for you to have some self-compassion. And then there's also, you know, the trauma work. I have studied with the work of Peter Levine and the work of Dr. Gabor Mate. So trauma plays a big component there. And all that is going to help you to deal with your anger in a very different way. So you're not going to be so reactive. You're going to understand what your triggers are. And you're going to be able probably to slow your baseline so that you're not angry about every little thing and that you can really hold that energy for when it's meant to be. Yes, yes. And and I guess, you know, kind of exploring those different stages of working with with anger and the way it presents initially and then but also looking, you know, getting a deeper understanding about it, you really are developing some skills and and also in with for yourself but also I was just thinking when someone is in a fight or flight state, you know, instead of labeling them as insane or wrong and bad and shaming them and all the rest of that, you know, it's to be if if the other person has the ability to really just recognize what's happening as a fight or flight reaction and and providing space and saying, hey, what I know something is really important here that that that's not that we're not that we need to talk about and um, I'd really like to 
I really like to talk to you about that when 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 it's comfortable, rather than making the the reaction, which sometimes we can tip over into making that the issue, which is really not the issue at all. Beautiful, because that is the change that we're doing in the world when we are observing that anger is a shaman, anger is a teacher to show us and point directly of what we need to work on. At the same time, we're not creating more suffering. We're stopping the damage and we're, create, we're bringing light into the unconscious parts of us. So anger is a very mysterious door and usually some one of the sessions that I like to do with clients one-on-one is to find out when that anger or that part of you that says mean things or, or the part of you that yells, where does that come from? And, and it usually shines a light on a very early experience in life. And so helping that person to then update that to what, you know, what happened to you as a three-year-old happened because you had no support, you were three years old, and but now that three years old shows up in your relationship with others and getting to take care of that young part of you with tenderness, with compassion, it's, it's that's just the healing that it's possible to do. Yeah, yeah, and and I can sense that you've seen that happen many, many times. Oh, absolutely. This is, I have worked in this methodology for years, oh, for like one year with one person, and they just, it's about updating that. And all of a sudden, you're healed, and you can be reacting with your mature self rather than from those shadows or parts of you that you have not observed or example michael let's talk about if for example you grew up in a family where there was intense family violence you might never want to be angry but then maybe you you end up being the partner of somebody that's kind of angry and you never say stop or you never show your anger and so that dynamic ends up being also unhealthy so the shadow work, right? It's, it's so important that we all heal. And so not being anger, angry is also an anger management issue. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's right. You know, the word management to me seems a bit antiquated now because the way that we're talking is we're talking about anger as a healing medicine and um you know, and, and as a symptom of, in a way, lack of understanding, in a way. So, so it's really instead of anger management, maybe we could call it something like anger evolution. Yes, <laughs> anger. Like yes, right? yes. befriending anger. And, and you know, the name of my group, Healing Anger, the name of the women's program comes from the Dalai Lama's book, Healing Anger. Buddhism also has a very important, has added some important things to our anger, but it's to, to, to the knowledge about how to act or how to deal with anger. So I think that 
what I'm just recognizing is that the traditions of anger management, Buddhism, you know, they all like Chinese medicine. We need to just bring all this together. And now somatic experiencing and all the, the work around the body, right? We need to bring all of that together so that we can integrate and do some integrative healing. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally, totally agree. And I, I kind of got a sense that I'd really love to kind of talk with you about the real, uh, the, the kind of the, the spiritual aspect of this. And maybe if I can just share some of my thoughts and we, you know, see what you think. So I'm coming from a place where what we call ourselves, you know, the Michael who ha is supposedly housed in this body and is, you know, has the, these, this, this history, which is basically memories and these likes and dislikes and this name and this age and, and, uh, on, and all of, and which is an individual and limited object separate to all other objects. See, I, I don't, my experience has been that, but then it also ha, um, has opened up to that not being an accurate description of what we are in the sense that when we really, uh, without unpacking it all right now, we, when we really look at it, the body is not the limitation of me, the so-called me. The thoughts um, are being observed by the awareness. The so-called me is kind of in a way constructed by a, a nexus of all these thoughts and memories, imaginations, and it's constantly being reinforced and alive by language and, and the need to deal with phenomena, this flow of phenomena. And communicate with you it's easy to kind of identify with that construction called michael as if that's what the michael is but in a sense that there's always what is aware of that and what is aware of that when you really unpack it is always here and always present and in fact all other states of not here and future and past are all constructions that are within the ground of present and here. So anger, in a sense, seems to come into being to kind of protect that, um, that constructed self. Because when viewing from the point of view of what we really are, there is nothing to protect. There is nothing to lose. There, there's, it's unchanging peace and love. It doesn't get diminished by being wrong. It doesn't need to be right. So, and I'm just wondering, this is without invalidating anger, as a necessary phenomenon in by virtue of being embodied and working with in relationship with other people just wondering if um if that what i'm describing there how that whether we have whether there's a possibility in a way to develop to a point where you know anger can be just kind of just another tool actually not used constructively destructively you know more of a kind of like a reprimand when you reprimand a child lovingly or 
when you put a boundary of safety lovingly saying, hey, look, I, I don't think we should go there because, um, you know, it's not safe or something like that. I don't know. I'm really just trying to reconcile what I was expressing as my f understanding of what we are with the place of anger in that. And I'm wondering what you think, because I know you understand this. I'm conflicted. I, I have some conflict there because on one side, I think my grasping of that beautiful connection to everything is something that I miss a lot sometimes. You know, like, I mean, I love that sense of being fully connected, but in the day-to-day -day life, I can't do that as often. So I'm in another part of my brain. And so I, I really crave that. You know, there's tons of time during the year where I just want to go and meditate in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish that I could, or I wish that I could be in the Galapagos Island diving or in the jungle of Ecuador where I grew up. But then again, if I want to go there, you know, there's the fantasy of being there and there's the reality of so I think you know the the closer that I can get to that is doing my daily meditative practice con connecting to the other from a sense from a place of love and offering safety that's why I love my work so much and then sometimes in my dreams I have fabulous dreams where I'm not incredible dreams but on other hand they're suffering and and sometimes I'm in my dreams, I'm fighting all the time. And so I'm, I'm holding and I'm resolving things that I could not resolve when I was a young little girl. So another aspect of this is what uh, the Dalai Lama says about anger is being part of our ego. So when it's, when it's that part, it's all about how things should be and I want this to be my way or I, you know, sometimes it's very helpful to observe that things are not the way we want. So I think compassionate avoidance, accepting things as they are, can be very pragmatic, but also very spiritual. And when we are able to see things as they are, we can connect differently to the world. But, you know, I wish I could really, I wanted to be a nun when I was a little girl. So I love the spiritual world and I love reading and, and just but the reality is that my growth has come from relationships. Yeah. It's so yeah. difficult. <laughs> yes. And it's a real, you know, it's a real, in a way, test of, of our, our pre, uh, ability, you know, to be connected. Relationships are a real fertile ground for that. And um, I was just thinking while you were speaking how, you know, we, 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 we engage in relationships because in some ways we want to be connected. We feel connected. And the ultimate connection is love. You know, and, and in love, there is no anger. You know, I mean, love can come through anger as in to colour anger and make anger really quite useful, but also like, you know, sitting in a, from a place of love, genuinely, 
There is no anger. There is no fear. There is no lack of courage. Or there's, there's all of those things are dependent upon protecting, you know, what we might call our smaller self or our. What if Michael, if there would be anger, there would be fear, but love is bigger than that. So love is able to contain this, and from there, these things don't get. They're not ruling the relationship. They're not ruling. So again, you know, like we were talking about the three levels that we categorize from the brain, you know, the prefrontal cortex, then limbic system, and then the rawest, the fight, flight, or fight response. And so if I find out that I'm on the fight or flight response often, I have a choice and I can choose to start meditating longer. And from the meditation, then I will be able to make the right connections, the right decisions, and bring myself to a different place. But if I'm on that, if I'm in a very stressed moment in my life and there's nothing I can do, then it's going to be more, it's going to be difficult not to feel these intense feelings. Yes. I know exactly what you mean there because um, sometimes, you know, despite being aware of what what we really are and sometimes the body mind just has a reaction. You know, it's like, whoa, what is that? You know, and, but, and then just being able to see it go through its cycle, you know. Um, recently happened to me and um i was like oh that isn't related to here what is that for you know and it's actually no way appropriate to hear and and i was just able to you know observe it and watch it and 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 eventually a feeling of love of what is present became more and more the focal point and the the other feeling of fear without pushing it away or anything it gradually just kind of got i don't know subsumed or you know merged or and then later on when i reflected on it i reflected you know that came because there was this experience that i had a few years ago where bust of the memory of that must have been triggered and the fight or flight brought up this body-mind reaction as a kind of a warning, you know. But, I mean, luckily I was able to, you know, just be fascinated by it. You know, I wasn't really in that full disabled fight-or-flight blindness, fortunately, in that situation. But I guess the main point I was trying to say is that, is that how the body, you know, we can have this, this understanding, we can have this experience but still we are embodied and embodiment shows up in surprising and spontaneous ways, at least for me at the moment, it does. And it, and it, and it gets it takes you by surprise. And I, I guess that's how it is, you know, when anger shows up strongly, it seems to be coming without our choice. Yes. Yes, so we go from one to ten in one second, 
and we react and we have no space for anything else. Not there's no space for compassion. There's no space for empathy. There's no space for the other because our ego has it all. Fear is so intense. But the more that I do this work, the more that I find space before the trigger comes. I am already taking care of myself. And so you can build that capacity. Yes. What you're saying is that there is a capacity that can grow, an actual ability that we have as, as, a, as an embodied, embodied being to, to, in a way, not be as overtaken over time by these spontaneous phenomena that arise spontaneous and very instinctual very impulsive you can think of the most horrible things to do and say and <laughs> and you know and it, then when you talk about it you can laugh because you know i don't believe anybody's damaged but if i hold it inside oh gosh i have these thoughts and i can't tell this to anybody because what are they going to think of me? then the shame takes over and that's what brings the addiction is that where the poetry comes in <laughs> yeah <laughs> in the best of case <laughs> yeah. yeah somebody said to me very recently actually it was a pretty powerful experience it was just in a text message we're talking about this you know the in, in a sense the what we might call the constructed awareness of what we might call our ordinary self or view of ourself and then uh, a more ex kind of a, inclusive views, uh, view of what of our unlimited nature and and then and they said they said you know through their suffering they realized that they had so much love for their so-called constructed self their ego that they realized that it was just trying to protect them just trying to help them navigate this kind of see of phenomena and relationships and and they just had this spontaneous so much love for this aspect and what happened to me was it kind of went in and kind of i don't know downloaded or something to see all what we might call delusion in a very loving way not as a wrong thing not as something that needs to be healed and of course things transform nothing stays the same but but to have a baseline of of absolute love for the broken you know we and broken not being wrong broken being beautiful and it was just it's still affecting me it's still kind of there's still stuff happening around that and I kind of think that's where you're coming from. Is that, would that be right? Yeah, I think, you know, I think of the wounded healer when you say that. And, you know, the, the, the Greek mythology where, where Chiron was the wounded healer and after being poisoned, he, the, the dimension of, of Chiron is like being wounded by own arrows so young brings that very very clear 
into that. It's our own hurt that can give us the measure of the immensity of our own power to heal and heal others. So there's two things. There would be the power to heal or the possibility of transference, what you haven't healed, the, your own shadow. So the, the only option to be a good analyst, to be a good healer, is to observe that in you. So I consider myself a wounded healer, and I have scars in my body that remind me of that, and I, I'm in pain often. And, and this is something that the Dalai Lama, the 14th Dalai Lama who wrote Healing Anger, reminds us often, often of the importance of patience and tolerance as a, an element for compassion and self-compassion. Because when we're angry, we have no patience. We want to do things now, and that's the ego. And there's no tolerance. And I don't really like the, the, the word tolerance because it's like, oh, I tolerate you. It's like I believe sustainable, but it's not. It's like from a place of love that it's the other who is own reflection of me, of the thing that I'm not. So I'm projecting on that other my own not under, misunderstanding of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, like it's really beautiful that, that what you brought up the, the myth of uh, Chiron, because in just to add what to you said, you, you said is that, that you know that where it's the arrows, the arrows that we shoot to ourselves in a way we bring upon ourselves. And you said that that you know uh, this is an opportunity for us to to transform. And and what I was and kind to of also examine ourselves. And, and we to are examine ourselves to do our own to be our exam- own doctor. Yeah. Yes. To look that's right. inside. Yes, that's right. And and the other side of that, the shadow perhaps of that, is where we reject that, where we recoil naturally, because it is the death of us. And we naturally re- the ego recoils from from its loss of power in that awareness. The where we recoil, it poisons us. And the beautiful thing about the poison of our own arrows is that the poison continues to do its work until there's enough pain that we allow death to flower in our understanding. Totally. I mean, and I've had a million deaths, and I hope that I continue to have so I can, you know, not not rest, but some to, to who I am and to just take all these illusions, these mayas. Yes. You know, I, I feel like we've actually really come t- just to a place that has opened up into 10 times the conversation. <laughs> and I really, um, I really would like, I have such a motivation to continue to talk to you, but I'm just mindful of the time and I feel like we need to bring this to a close. But I just want to share how much of a special experience this has been to talk to you and to share this with you. And I, I really, uh, really hope that it creates a lot of benefit for anyone that listens. 
And I really want to encourage anyone to look up Alejandro's work and I'll put some links to her workshops and book and other things where you can get in contact with her. But thank you so much for, for being here. I feel like, you know, maybe we'll have another conversation sometime. I would love that, Michael. And uh, like I said, I'm kind of jealous that you're doing the interview to me because I would love to interview you <laughs> and ask you, you know, how the hell did you get to do so much of this and share with so many people so many important views around addictions and so much more. And I just want to say, you know, the opposite of tolerance for me is compassion. It's just loving kindness. And loving kindness, uh, I had to learn about that or relearn it. And that has, you know, saved my life many times. So thank you for your compassion, your kindness, and uh, I'll see you around. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, bye for now. Bye.